It's fantastic to have your company this Thursday, the 27th of August. We've got a massive bumper show coming your way. But before we get to all that, it's time to introduce my guest, my co-host coming from his home live right now. It's Nick Stoll, aka Stolich, SBS Sports Journo. Welcome to you, Stolich. How are you? Very good. Uh, in a lot better mood than yesterday. Uh, and because of our two guests, we're going to be great as well. No, we have some fabulous guests coming up. Uh, I can't wait to introduce this man because he's one of our favourites. He's the original of the World Game Lives, uh, SBS commentator. He's hosted a series of World Cups over the years. He's an expert beyond just football, whether it's athletics, tennis. This man knows it. He's the jack of all trades. Welcome to you, the great David Bashi, a.k.a. Bashola. It is great to see you back. Hey, Lucy, how are you going? Oh, great to be so, here. We are so glad to see you, Bash. Are you well? I'm pretty well, yeah. Look, you know what? I like a like an escapee. I fleed Victoria about six weeks ago, um, <laughs> and came to Sydney to see friends and sort my house out, watch a little bit of A League. So it's all life's good at the moment. No, and it's great to have you on the show. Welcome back, Bash. As I said, um, for those of you that have been following the World Game Live for, for some time now, Bash is the original. Both he and I started this program and it's evolved into something so much bigger now, but you are certainly missed, Bash, and always will be. It's time now also to welcome our next special guest joining us all the way from Canberra. It's fabulous to see him here, the Capital Region FC Director of the recently announced A-League bid. It's not something that's all that new because Canberra have been going throughout this heartache for so many years but we have seen it announced just this week Michael Caggiano welcome to the show it is a real pleasure to see you and have you on our uh, on our platform here today thanks guys good to be here. no it is great to have you and there's so much to get through but before we do that Cadge and of course we will start with you I want to also make mention of the guests tuning in here today on Twitter yesterday I put out a bit of a shout out to not just um all of our guests but also our viewers we have a host of you regular viewers that tune in every week across both our Wednesday and Thursday platforms and it's always such a delight to engage with you this is why we're here we love chatting with the fans so make sure you get your questions and your comments through to myself and Stolich and we'll get through them um, but we've got plenty coming up later on we will talk about the A-League semi-finals and the reality Reaction to that, we've got, we've got Melbourne City shot stopper Tom Glover joining us, as well as Sydney FC right back, who's also made the A League, the PFA A League team of the season. Uh, Ryan Grant, aka Buster, joining us too. So there's plenty to chat through, as well as the new Melbourne Victory coach Grant Brebner, who was also appointed earlier this week. But Cadge, we want to start with you. We don't want to waste any time, as I'm sure the Canberrans don't either. When it comes to potentially getting an A League team, this has been a hard slog for you guys because you've suffered through numerous heartaches over the years in your quest to, to build a team for Canberra and to acquire a licence, but why is now the right time for Canberra? Well, I think, you know, uh, it's been more than three years for me uh, on this journey. I, I promised my wife maybe it would be a few months, but it's been quite a bit longer than that. Uh, for us, you know, I think all the planets have aligned. Now is the time for Canberra have uh, its own team in the A-League. Uh, we, we have the investment required. We have uh, everything you could do to have a team ready to go in the A-League. We've got ready. We've got government backing. We've got next-level facilities. We've got uh, potential sponsors. We've got football intellect that wants to invest in Australia. Um, you know, we're coming to the end of a broadcast deal and maybe a broadcast deal that maybe didn't want Canberra as part of the league, and that goes away now. It's the perfect opportunity to springboard into a new broadcast deal uh, with a new team. Uh, in a new region, a region that's been dying for it for a long time. Before I open the floor to the other guys, what a lot of fans want to know is, are you looking to acquire the Mariners licence and take that over? Because we know that Mike Charlesworth has openly come out and put the club up for sale 
FFA have also come out and said that there are a number of other mystery bidders that have also uh, put their hands up to take over. But is your intention to take that over or to start up a new licence entirely? Because I think a lot of Mariners fans are quite nervous over that prospect. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the Mariners have a, a storied history in the A-League. Uh, no, no one wants to see the Mariners go away. I don't. Uh, Canberrans don't. Um you know, but they need to work in Gosford. And if they're not going to work in Gosford, you know, we're putting our hand up to say, we think it can work here. Uh, we know it can work here. So our first option is, no, we don't want to obviously kill the Mariners or to take them away or steal them or whatever the people want to say about me online to say that I'm trying to do that. Uh, we want the Mariners to succeed. Uh, but we want our own team in our own region for ourselves as well. We've got everything that we need to do that. Um, so our offer, not a bid, our offer is to either... Uh, you know, acquire the licence if it can't stay in Gosford and, and start again afresh in Canberra or to have our own licence. Uh, and we believe we've provided compelling cases uh, to the FFA uh, on that front to directly to James Johnson. Uh, you know, uh, to, to go back in time, you know, we've been speaking to Mike, if I'm honest, for uh, almost two years now. Uh, and, you know, the latest conversations uh, have been facilitated by the FFA in January this year. They came to us to talk to Mike. So it's not me going and chasing Mike and trying to steal Gosford's team away. This is something that's come to us because they recognise what we've got and what we can bring to the league. Some questions and comments coming through already. A lot of engagement before I throw over to Bash to uh, ask you with a couple of questions. Ivan Stragan, one of our top fans here on the World Game Live Weekly. Great to see a Canberra team. Will this be a men's Canberra United team or a new separate entity, he wants to know, Michael? Yeah, the great thing is when Bede and I um, have put this all together, we've built it like it would be a club for all and we've looked at everything we needed to do. So part of that, we have a W League team here. We have an MOU with Capital Football to, um, you know, acquire uh, uh, the custodianship of that team and because Capital Football are football administrators. It's just because we don't have anything else here. They run that team. Um, but we want to bring them in and that's, to be honest, one of the key attractions to our international investors uh, women's football is is booming all around the world, particularly in Europe. Uh, and Australian players are the flavour of the month and the flavour of the day, and they see this as an exciting opportunity. I sell them on the Canberra dream, and then at the end of it, I say, you know, we've got a W League team too, and they're like, what? Uh, you know, it's uh, it all adds together. So, you know, we want to be respectful to the Canberra United brand and its history. Uh, we won't be replacing anything. They'll be coming along for the ride with us. Bash, over to you. Michael, I'm just going to ask you a question about, you know, the commercial realities of football at the moment in Australia. We know there's no broadcast deal beyond next season. So are you doing your numbers based on um, a, a new model? Um, and if so, what is that? And and talk a little bit more about the community support amongst Capital Football, the clubs um, and, and the financial backing. Is it subject to an A-League licence? Is there any interest in a national second division? Are there any flexibilities in that area? Yeah, I think first with the A-League, you know, Chris Nick, who's come out, FFA have all come out. They said they want to get to 14 teams or more. While that's still on the table, let's talk about that. And when that door is shut, let's go to the next door and talk about that. Um, our investors are sufficiently next level that, uh, you know, they have the, the, the commercial capability to operate as a serious team at the A-League level. Um, but it's not all about money. You know, we've got more than 8,000 members, highly engaged. We don't even have a team. And every time I send them an email, more than 75% of them open it. Uh, we've got 
you know, a minimum of $1.5 million per year from the ACT government. They back their sports teams. They're awesome. They, you know, they back the Raiders. They back the Brumbies. They even back GWS. It's not really our team. You know, uh, Joe Carozzi would know that. He used to be on their board. But, uh, you know, what they do well is they really back sport and tourism in Canberra. And, uh, you know, that's the quantum of a loss of an A-League team, you know, close to $2 million per annum. So you can buy a licence, but can you deal with losing $2 million per year? Because I've got government money that breaks us, makes us a break-even uh, entity from the start. I think that's the difference. You know, we, we're not going to put our hands out to anyone. We've actually fully funded, ready to go, uh, and really do something good. You know, we've got this concept of a 50 plus one model that we've promised. You know, our fans and our members will help us establish the name, the brand, but more importantly, the values of the club what it stands for, what it does with its discretionary funds every year, puts it back into the community. Do we want to lessen rego fees? Do we want to get some kids that can't afford to play football to play football? Do we want to spend money putting people in schools to talk about football? All these things are in our plans. Um, and, you know, we've got this concept of the 50 plus one model where they all get to get involved with that. You know, you've got to have investors and they've got to make the money or lose the money and that's all got to be separated with, you know, Australian Corporation Lawrence all got to be above board with directors. But... There is a way we found where they can be involved every year with the destiny of this club. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Michael, I just wanted to know previously, why do you think the Canberra bid hasn't been successful and what changes now? What What is the kind of the – is there anything that you maybe learnt from the previous bid that you can now improve on or do you think it's just a different situation? Tough question. Maybe one for FFA, I think. Um, but, um, you know, I say I'm stubborn and I'm not giving up till we get a team. But the reality is what we're presenting is irresistible and we really believe in it. Bede and I, even if we didn't leave in Canberra, we'd want to do this because it's the right thing for the game. You know, we've got the highest participation of football per capita of any state in Australia. You know, 7.2% of people in the ACT play football. The next... You know, compare it to Queensland, that's 4.8%, 4.7% in Victoria. We have 30,000 registered football players, 80,000 registered football participants each week. Uh, this whole region it, it has no way of engaging with professional football, men's football, uh, and we want to change that. Uh, you know, the reasons behind the previous decision around expansion uh, weren't weren't really mine. You know, the, the, that, that was the FFA, you've got to ask them, but... You know, the Canberra Football Forum, the people that would have seen it there, um, you know, I grilled them about why could they couldn't come out. We were the non, only non-Sydney or non-Belvin team to make the shortlist to get right till the end. Why wouldn't the FFA come out and say Canberra can be next and work with us to do that, to be the next team, not to turn that investment away from Australian football? So that's what I want to know. When it boils down to all of this, why FFA continue to turn away capital from the game? I mean, when we stretch back now to the 2018 expansion process, which we already know is done and dusted, Western United and MacArthur have been elected to come into the competition. Of course, MacArthur coming in as the uh, the 12th team for next season. But the most confusing thing to me in all of this is why, why couldn't we add more? If Canberra had a viable bid, Team 11 had a viable bid, why not encourage more clubs to come into the competition, Michael? Um, from your perspective, I mean, the one thing I also want to know is how have you managed to convince the investors that were with you for the original ride to stay on? Or have you had to seek other investors elsewhere because I'm really starting to get frustrated with the way that Football Federation Australia run these expansion processes. 
Mm. Yeah, it's been hard, you know. Um, I'm a relatively young guy. I'm, I'm not a rich guy. I've done this with Bede with our own money. Um, you know, probably spent more money than our wives know. Uh, but we'll, we'll sort them out later um, because we believe in it. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we did what we thought was right. I had a bit of a football network in Europe and I really leveraged that. I made countless pitches, you know, two, three in the morning in my lounge room presenting to the Rangers board. Uh, I could give you the Rolodex at some of these clubs, you know. I'll, I'll probably share one today. I know you know this, Lucy, you know. Um, the one thing going for Canberra, other than a lot of things around the government support and, and the participation, is um, access to government and how people value that. And I think the FFA could really learn that if they want to complain about facilities and not getting our fair share, you've got to be in Canberra. You've got to have presence here. Deals get done in Canberra. Uh, and a good example of that is along this journey, uh, I, I got a random call one day uh, and it was an ex senior executive from a multinational organisation um, and he was uh, connected to us to talk about potentially being the backer for our, for our bid uh, and it turned out that uh, that organisation was Qatari Sports and Investments uh, and, you know, they own a lot of things that, uh, that, that, that group of companies, they own Porsche, Volkswagen, Qatari Airways, but more importantly, they own PSG. Uh, and they were looking at Canberra uh, being one of the founding um, connections to PSG in their network. Uh, the, the executive was from Bean Sports. There was a broadcast angle. And his sort of what he was, the missive he was given was, um, you know, Qatar's got the World Cup coming and we want the football world to fall in love with Qatar again. So they come and visit us and they come to our World Cup and they see we want to do good things in football. And they said, how can we do that? And then they found us uh, with our, you know, 50 plus one model, feel good community club in Canberra, in Australia, where decisions get made and you can have influence and Canberra's a neutral country in that region. You know, and it started talking and all of a sudden I'm getting called from Julie Bishop's office, the ambassador to Qatar and saying, how can we help? Uh, we told FFA all of this. And I think, you know, this is where the disappointment is. You would think any other league or any other sport in Australia would jump at something like that that would help us. Let's go close this deal together. This is awesome for Australian football. But they did nothing. Now, I don't want to crap on anyone, but that's the reality. Gosh, when you hear this, I mean, you'd probably tear your hair out if you could. Uh, but at this point, you know, <laughs> at this point, I mean, and, and to, to, to echo some of the things that I was saying earlier, I mean, I wondered if you, you would agree. You had some visibility over the initiatives that uh, South Melbourne were putting forward. I know that for a fact, and, and having a look at actual documentation that was given to me, Fox Sports had signalled their preference for both Team 11 and Southern Expansion, right? Clubs were also very open to the idea of a Canberra team. My understanding was that they were opposed to the to a team potentially being introduced in Ipswich. But what are your possible theories as to why Football Federation Australia first made these decisions to expand when it went against the the, the preferences of their, their their host broadcaster and the majority shareholder when it comes to funding the game, but also to, to ignore the other bids that potentially had a real opportunity to succeed, like a Canberra bid? It's a really good question. I think it's got a lot to do with who's got the money at the time up front, especially in, in that at that time with the FFA. It was pre-James Johnson, of course. Um, and, you know, I was disappointed with the lack of transparency and clarity around the bidding process. I think a lot of people were. 
Um, that's not to say Western United haven't been a compelling watch this season, especially later in the season, but you're right. The lack of clarity on, on why these bids were unsuccessful was frustrating. And I think, Canberra, I think, Michael, you've raised a lot of really good points of where you've got the pillars of the foundation of your bid in place. Government, support, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear you've got Capital Football on board because Phil Brown and Scott O'Donnell are good people there. And, and if they behind you, then that'll all go well for your bid. But to answer your question, Lucy, I don't really know. I, I wasn't on the inside of the tent of the FFA in that process, but I would... I get, the, I get the distinct suspicion it was money up front. It was uh, the weight of money that told the story with these bids. Um, and that, from, from that point of view, from a strategic point of view, that's disappointing because the money up front can't always uh, guarantee you long-term long success. Yeah, I think to add there, sorry, Lucy, you know, everyone said we didn't have money. It was an easy cop-out for Canberra. We had people that don't just go put money in a bank account. I, I, I've told you this story before, Lucy. That, that investor I just talked about maybe wasn't even the richest one that was backing us. Uh, and when I told them that I might need X million Australian dollars to buy an A-League license, he, he laughed and he said, do you want to put on my credit card? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and, and FFA knew who they were. And, and I want to crap on FFA all the time, but, you know, we introduced them directly to the FFA. And they said, you know, we see 100 of these opportunities every year. We talk to six. We only look at three, really, and we've been talking to Michael and Bede for nine months. Um, you know, some of the experiences in those meetings um, were pretty embarrassing. You know, uh, FFA executives saying, well, would you invest in another team, not Canberra, in front of us, in front of our investors? Oh. Uh, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Then, uh, you know, ringing us and saying, your investors are too good to lose. We'll give you a letter on FFA letterhead saying, we want to work with you to be the next team and never giving it to us three times in front of other executives to my face, you know. Um, but we're in different times now. we got JJ, right? Um, football guy, understands the, the, the importance of regional football and that, how it can play a part. Uh, and the engagement with JJ is refreshing because we haven't really experienced that previously. What are your feelings like the possibility of you getting this licence and, and, and actually getting a team up and ready to go? Do you feel positively about it? Because, I mean, I know that we've said that we don't want to hang any more crap on Football Federation Australia, but I personally, I don't feel confident. Um, I'm worried that they may, in fact, try to drive up the licence price and that these theories of them having other mysterious potential bidders uh, at the table is just a bunch of hogwash because the, the greatest thing that concerns me is that whilst they don't want to have ownership of the A-League, they might see this as an opportunity, Michael, to use it as a cash grab. Um, we know that the clubs in principle will assume ownership of the, the competition. I mean, I don't know what that looks like now that we've got these issues with Fox Sports, but what's the likelihood of them just sticking their hand up and asking to drive the price up, taking the money, and then absolving themselves of the A-League entirely? Because that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not close to that. My question to them would be, why not? Why not Canberra? Why, why would you turn away any investment in Australian football? James Johnson was public last week in saying he wants more Australian players, players playing football, professional football. Here's the chance, FFA. I can do this if, if you want to work with me to do it. Let's get more Australians on the field. You know, our team in our region is going to be unashamed, unashamedly Canberran. It's going to be players from this region. Um, you know, there's a history of Canberrans 
uh, and people from this region really succeeding despite all these hurdles in football. You know, uh, Ned, your brother, uh, Nikolai Topos Stanley, he played indoor soccer with my little brother uh, and he's gone and had a great career. Uh, those types of guys, Andy Manau, you had him on here uh, last week. Uh, you know, Tom Rogic, everyone's got a bit annoyed in the press release who said Tom Rogic skipped the A-League. Uh, and they say, well, he played for the Mariners. Well, the truth is, guys, he had to go to the Nike Academy in, in England, win that to be noticed, to get an A-League gig. Uh, and, and we want to change that. I want to do it. You know, I've got a one-year-old son. I want him to have the chance to play football professionally in Canberra one day. Uh, Bede and I, something really struck with us earlier this year, we went to Sydney FC Business Lunch, uh, and Richard Scudamore, the guy that privatised the EPL, took it to the next level. Uh, he left us with something, and he said... Your best marquee is your homegrown guy done good. And that's what we want to do. We want to make people from this region, put them on the park, and then one day you can say, you know, Johnny playing in Europe, um, kicking, you know, scoring goals for Man United. I saw him playing Canberra before he was something. Stolich, over to you before we look up to wrap up with Cadge. Yeah, Michael, just uh, my kind of last question would just be, you know, 15 years of the A-League, we've seen a lot of different franchises, a lot of different clubs, some successful both on the field and off the field, some not successful on the field and off the field. What are the lessons that you are hoping that you've learned from the successful ones and what are the ones that you're hoping not to repeat and then you're going to go, okay, we're definitely not going to do that? Yeah, I think it comes back to having community involved. The thing that Australian football struggles for is it's got this mass volume of people playing it but doesn't connect with it. And that's where the community uh, ownership angle comes in, to let them decide uh, what their what their club stands for, to let them choose its values, to let them, you know, to, to let them play a part in what it does every year. Um, you know, don't go for cheap gimmicks. Don't go for making money. Make it about the football. Football is passion and belonging. It's not money. Uh, and everyone wants to belong. You know, we, we've got a, a whole heap of different mentors and advisors. Um, and one of them was a guy by the name of um, Professor Lyons here at uh, University of Canberra. And he's best friends with Ron Smith. Um, we used to go have uh, lunches on Wednesdays at the University of Canberra and, and throw ideas at each other. Professor Lyons was like a, a world genius in engagement. Uh, he, he's the guy that the Wales Rugby Union uh, got to go and turn Wales Rugby into a powerhouse to bring everyone together. And, and, and he was saying to us in a meeting with the team one day, you've got to create a football lifestyle. Well, all you do is talk about football. You know, you're enveloped in football. It's part of life and that's why it's like in Europe. You, know, you can see the Napoli shirt behind me. <laughs> My family's from Italy. Uh, football in Napoli is a way of life. Uh, and I want to do that here. That's the lesson. You can't just create something and, and think people come. Get them involved in it. Make them part of it. And that's what we want to do differently. Definitely. And I, I'm just going to say, we, we can see the Napoli shirt behind you. We can also see the Man United shirt behind you, but we won't hold that against you. That's the only thing that probably bring down this bit so far. <laughs> Sorry. Final, final question from you, Bash, for Cadge before we say goodbye. No, I just, I just wish you all the best because I've read your document. It's got all the pillars in place, Michael. And I think if you if you're trying to engage the community the way you say you are, and and then including capital football along the ride, you've already got a, a W League team in that's been successful in the past. There's no reason why if the government doesn't get behind you, you're, you're plugged into your community, um, and you've got the dollars to withstand any sort of early non-broadcast income pressure that football can 
bear upon its uh, participants club-wise, then I think you've got a lot of the pillars in place. So I wish you all the best, mate. Thank you. And, Cadge, one final thing from me I don't think we really touched on enough um, is the stadia and the facilities that you're looking to use. So I believe it's the Australian <coughs> Institute of Sport and Bruce Stadium. They are all ready to go. Yeah, we're spoiled for facilities, right? We've got the AS. I, I flew a, an EPL guy out here, one of, one of the uh, guys connected to the investors, and he looked at the AS and he's like, EPL clubs would kill for this setup. You know, the Socceroos and the other Australian teams are here quite regularly using that, and it's dormant. You know, on top of that, We've got something that others don't have. We have a funded football-specific home of football being built in Canberra. $20 million, capital football, Phil Brown, uh, amazing job working on the government. And that's the, you know, the ST government's commitment to the sport uh, of choice of Canberrans. They've put their money where their mouth is backing us. They've put their money where their mouth is backing the WE team. They've put $20 million to a home of football that's already... You know, the plans are under construction. This is not a promise. This is not a wealthy building guy doing this project on the side to make money to cover the losses. This is the community giving to the game. Well, you've certainly done a fantastic job, Cadge. We have to congratulate you on your perseverance in the face of so much buggery from Football Federation Australia over the years. And that doesn't just apply to your bid. I think a whole host of other uh, failed bids throughout that 2017-18 process could attest to feeling much the same. Um, but we thank you so much for your time. Like I said, um, we wish you all the very best. Um, and, and when quickly can we can we expect to hear an answer on, on what's going on with the bid? Well, I think, you know, like I said, the engagement from uh, FFA through James is, is positive and, and refreshing. Uh, you know, our investors, this is not a threat. This is a reality in some ways. You know, the world football market, the prices of things have dropped uh, and and there are a lot of opportunities out there. We've really sold them on camera. They really want to, want to do it, um, but they want to see something change quite quickly the next four to six weeks. If they don't, it's, it's not a threat. The reality is they'll go look at something in Japan or something in China or another team and then, you know, that's that investment's lost to Australian football and we don't want that to happen. No, we certainly don't want to see more capital being flushed out of the game. Cadge, thank you again for all your time and wish you all the very best. We'll be in touch and we hope that it's positive news for Canberra going forward. Take care. Thank you, guys. Yes, great stuff to have Cadge joining us as we swiftly move on to our next guest and we'll dissect on, you know, everything that we've just heard a little bit later on throughout the program. But it's time now to welcome a real superstar in last night's semi-finals match. Uh, and, and he's just been brilliant throughout the, the whole season, really. And that's uh, none other than Melbourne City shot stopper Tom Glover. Tom, welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. No, it's great to have you. Tell us, what are the feelings like off the back of last night? Yeah, the, it's so positive. Um, there's a real uh, good vibe around the around the place at the moment. So you know, it's we've made club history. You know, they've never qualified for a grand final, and you know, to be in this position now is it's it's truly amazing. Um, I love the fact that we've also got you listed there as a Melbourne City midfielder. Um, it would have been interesting to see you playing in midfield last night, but I tell you what, you in goals, you were fabulous in goal uh, last night, and you have been Thank so. You. You know, you've been exemplary for Melbourne City throughout this season so far. But from yes. your perspective, um, you know, having come into the club after obviously it's been in existence for some time, uh, but what what are the feelings like for yourself personally? Can you can you sense that this is a real big deal for the club, this being their best ever achievement and their first grand final? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and it just shows, you know, all the staff who have been here for many years and, uh, you know, the players who have been here for many years, you know, this is their first crack at, at the big one. So, you know, to be a part of it, it it's massive. And it's, yeah, it's going to be such a big occasion and, and everyone's looking forward to it. Bash, over to you. Tom, I've got to ask the question. In the past, Melbourne City have, have been almost uh, famous or infamous, depending where you're coming from, uh, about their implosions, their mid or later season implosions. But under Eric Mombarts, he's, he's got the, the, the group playing together and, and, and really believing in his structures and systems. What's been the difference from your point of view in, in what you've spoken to from teammates who've had previous experience with Melbourne City and what you've produced on the pitch this season? Yeah, I think, you know, with Eric, he's, he's a tactician, you know, he's a genius. For, you know, the game for him, it's like a chess match. And, you know, the boys have bought in since day one, since he's coming in, and, you know, we're stuck to his plan and, and what he believes in. And, you know, it's what we believe in as well. So I think in other years, you know, I can't really speak for it because I wasn't here to experience it. But from just from my experience, from day one of being here, you know, we've stuck by him and his his way. Um, I think it, he, we've played different to what we did last year. And, you know, this way, his style of play, you know, it, it's showing off now because, you know, we're in our first ever grand final. Stolich? Yeah, Tom, looking ahead to the final, obviously Sydney FC finished above you guys in the table, but you guys seem to have the better form going into it. How confident are you guys in this one-on-one matchup against Sydney FC? Yeah, the the confidence is very high. You know, we've had we've had good form since the since the restart, but you know, like I said before um, in a previous interview, um, it's, it's finals football. Anything can happen. It was similar to last night. You know, we've beaten them three games out of the three, but you know, anything can happen. You know, and they stuck in well last night, and you know, they had their chances. Um, and that's the thing about finals football. And that's the beauty of it. Anyone can beat anyone because it is it, it is a one-off game, and it's either you sink or swim. One loss, you're out. You know, one win you you're the champions so yeah the confidence is definitely high you know obviously beating him the other week so we'll take confidence throughout that um but yeah we know it's going to be a tough game and you know playing sydney in sydney with i dare say most of their supporters being at the stadium it's not going to be easy but you know we're, we're very confident what's the experience been like for you personally tom in the hub because i know that it varies from player to player yeah um it's i mean it's not easy um, you know, we've been up here for six weeks, um, maybe even longer, doing two weeks quarantine um, in Sydney. Then we uh, drove up to the Hunter to have a bit more, bit more freedom in that sense. But you know, it, it's not easy. But then again, it's there's, you look at the positives where you know you're with each other every day, and you really got that team camaraderie, um, and that's I think that takes onto the pitch as well. So, yeah, it, you know, look, it hasn't been easy, but you know, everyone's made sacrifices and. You know, there for moments like Sunday where we want to make it all worth it. And I must ask you, Tom, about, you know, facing a player like Alessandro Diamante and what you see from your point of view in goal and, ha- and how much of a class difference uh, to the other playmakers in the A-League that you feel and also the development of Max Burgess. I'm, I'm, of course, asking you to talk about your opposition, but those two players have stood out for Western United this season. Yeah, they're, they're world-class. You know, obviously, Diamante, it speaks for itself. You know, he's a world-class player. He's played at the highest level. And, you know, last night especially, you know, he, he turned up. Um, I was hoping he'd be a bit more tired um, to give us <laughs> a bit less to do, but that wasn't the case. And for, for Max, I, I've known about Maxi for a while, you know, playing in the, the MPL, the same league as him. And, you know, for him to come through and to do what he's doing now, it's, it's great to see. And, you know, 
the only way up for him is, is going forward. So, yeah, really happy for, for Max. Um, and then obviously Diamante is, is a world-class player and, you know, anyone would love to have him on his team. Final question for Tom before we let him go, Stolich. Yeah, Tom, how difficult has it been to kind of concentrate on this season ahead with all the uncertainty of next season? You know, we, we've been seeing a bit more stories come out. You know, how much has it been discussed within the team? What's happening next season? What are we going to do? You know, life plans as well, because this is going to affect you guys, obviously, off the field as well as on. Yeah, of course. Um, to be quite honest with you, we haven't really spoken about it Um we'll kind of deal with that once this is all over. But our main priority has been, you know, focusing on the finals and, you know, the off-field stuff. It's, yeah, obviously you read stuff and you hear stuff about, like, the what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. So, yeah, it hasn't really – no one's really spoken about it too much, but it's more focusing on, obviously, Sunday and we've been focusing on the, the past four games. So, yeah, nothing's really been said about it too much, to be honest. Well, you'll worry about next season when that time rolls around, but for now it is all about the big dance on Sunday for the grand final. Tom, we wish you all the very best. Thank you so much. We hope you can continue your exemplary form and we look forward to seeing you, you field, uh, take to the field for Melbourne City. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yeah, big shout-out to Tom Glover there, an outstanding goalkeeper coming through. A lot of people saying he could potentially be the next Mark Schwarzer. But we're going to move on to our next guest. Someone will be hoping that they don't have as good of a game as what Melbourne City will be expecting, and that's none other than Sydney FC. And uh, Ryan Bennett joins us today from his car. Good to see you, Buster. Where are you? Pulled over on the side of the road somewhere. Uh, Charmin's Beach, actually, just in the car park. We just had a, a quick recovery session, so had to jump into Dave, our media manager's uh, car, and, and jump on... Um, yeah, on Zoom or whatever this is. <laughs> You're a good lad. We really appreciate your time. First of all, I want to say congratulations um, on booking a spot in the grand final. Of course, history um, is set to be made if Sydney FC can go and, do, you know, win back-to-back -back titles. But I want to talk about the fact that so many people were concerned about the Sky Blues coming into this match, uh, purely because of the form that you were in. I think you'd won one in five. Uh, and there were some rumblings that potentially Sydney FC could be the upset exit of the, the final series. But what were your thoughts around all of that and coming into to last night's match? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was... Us, I mean, personally, I think the team was still quietly confident that uh, we would turn it around. We knew we weren't in the best of form um, and maybe subconsciously it was because of the, the fact that we'd wrapped up the, uh, the premiership already. So uh, we might have taken the, the foot off the pedal a little bit. But I knew uh, going into a semi-final that uh, we've got enough players there that have been there and done that and have a lot of experience and, and want to get to that grand final and uh, would show up. And we definitely did that yesterday. I think we started really well. Uh, on the front foot and, and sort of set us up for that game. So, um, yeah, the form wasn't great, but like I said, I think we were quietly confident uh, when that semi-final came around that we'd be ready to go. Bash, you went to the game, and uh, before I let you ask Buster a question, um, you know, were you just as nervous as well about their form coming into it? Uh, because there, there seems to be, you know, some rumblings doing the rounds that, like I said earlier, that Sydney FC could uh, be one of the shock exits. Yeah, a little bit concerned. Um, Brian, I'm half expecting you to do carpool karaoke in that car. But, um, <laughs> I'm not sure if you're going to break into song. No, I was because it looked a bit disjointed, Sydney FC, after the break. But last night, Ryan, you, you, you went back to that seamless build-up in your transitional play. It was outstanding, I thought. Ninkovic was on song. I know you were aided by a few sort of howling mistakes at the back by, by Perth Glory. But overall, you must be happy with the way... 
um, your attacking zone sort of gelled and, and, and the way you, you, you build up play, uh, you know, supported that. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, last night, we'll, yeah, we'll on song, you, you mentioned Ninko was uh, at his best as he has been uh, all year. Um, he makes a massive difference for us. And yeah, everything just seemed a bit more crisp and a lot more uh, intent, which is which, what we're good at. And we knew that that we had to start well, like I said. And um, if we did that, we'd set ourselves up. And um, that's exactly what we did. Yeah, we did get a little bit lucky maybe with the, the deflection there off, uh, off Tariq for Ninko's first goal. And then obviously Rocket getting caught on the ball. But that doesn't just come from from random bits of play. That obviously there you can see Alfie uh, pressing high like he did the whole game and um, he got his reward. And then with Ninko, uh, he only needs half a yard or half a chance and he'll capitalise and he, he did that. So I think a big player stepped up last night and um, the team itself all together played really well. And um, I think, yeah, like you said, it was just that intensity from from the, wor- uh, the first first whistle that really put us on the front foot and set us up. So, um, yeah, it's a great result. We're, we're pumped, obviously. Stolich? Yeah, Ryan, you've been in um, with Sydney FC for quite a while now. I just wanted to ask about how has that kind of team developed and why this team in the last few years has been so successful as compared to when kind of the first years that you were there. You know, it seems like the team harmony is, is very good. Uh, what is it that's been successful these last few years? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, the team harmony, you mentioned that. I think the culture, I know it gets thrown around a lot um, in all sports teams and, and workplaces, how big and important culture is. But I think um, for me personally, that's definitely the biggest thing um, in terms of our success the last four or five years. I think uh, we've built a great culture and um, we've had players come in um, and leave, but we've had a, a good core of groups of players that have stayed uh, and been around for a while that really set the the tone and um, I think that goes a, a long way. Um, when the new players come in, they know what it's all about. Um, and then obviously the, the older players that have been here for a while uh, continue to do the, the same thing uh, year in, year out. And I think having that culture, um, not just amongst the players, but with the staff and then even the backroom staff and um, all the office uh, workers, I think we've got a great uh, relationship with everyone. And um, I think that's the main thing. And uh, and I think, like you said, that the proof is in the pudding in the, in the last five or so years we've been very successful and um oh, yeah personally i'd say it's definitely the the culture and the harmony around the group um that that's uh, comes down to for yourself personally ryan i have to congratulate you uh, on making the pfa's team of the season which is fantastic to see and i mean watching you last night as well who would have thought that you'd come off this injury uh you know a few weeks prior it was fantastic to see you make some real lung busting runs towards the back end of the second half there it was so impressive but i have to know are you somebody that's thinking about potentially testing yourself in europe or are you quite happy with being here in sydney um, I mean, I'm definitely um, open to, to going overseas. It's I think everyone um, dreams of playing overseas or at the highest level they can. Um, so that would be a great opportunity for us to come up. Um, but in saying that, I'm very content here at Sydney. I've uh, been here for a long time and, um, yeah, it's definitely a second home to me. And uh, I, I love being here um, and, and wouldn't look to, to move anywhere else. But, um, yeah, like I mentioned, if something did pop up, I'd definitely look at it. But at the moment, if I'm if I'm playing in Australia, I'm going to be at, at Sydney FC. And um, yeah, you, you can sort of go and chase things and and look to to do something different. But um, you don't want to change. You don't want to fix something that's not broken. I think we've been talking about that, the success of Sydney FC lately in the in the last couple of years, and I'm not just going to run away for that to to go chase something a little bit 
half-assed, I suppose. So, um, yeah, very happy here and content here. But like I say, if something popped up, I'll, I'll definitely have a look at it. Um, but, yeah, at the moment, I'm really happy here at Sydney. Mm, uh, a fan question coming through from one of our top fans here on the World Game Live, Katie Bayou. Does the pressure level change when you're against a team who are finalists for the first time? She wants to know. Um, that's a great question. I've, I haven't thought about it too much, obviously, with just the game being yesterday and obviously City winning that. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of experience um, in finals. Uh, a lot of our players have played in a number of them. So I think that puts us in good stead. But in saying that, they've got a, a lot of players that have played in uh, grand finals for other teams or played um, in pretty high pressure matches. So I don't know if you can look into that too much. Um, but, yeah, we're quietly confident. Uh, we know how to get there and get the job done. So I think um, going into Sunday, we, we will uh, sort of try and use that experience and, and make the most of it and, and come out with the win. Bash, over to you for one last question before we let I, Ryan go. Yeah, I was just going to ask Lucy about Ryan. You know, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, you've had two knee reconstructions. So you've been through a lot of, um, you know, you've had to overcome a lot of adversity in your career. How much of a... Of a a satisfaction uh, element you get at this time of the season and every, everything that's gone on with COVID and so forth, I think they could put you up as a guy that could, um, you know, mentor a lot of the younger players going through similar issues in, in fighting back from adversity. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously with a couple of knee injuries and I was out of the game for a while, um, was tough and it was disappointing at the time, but I think it's as you sort of get past it, you sort of just get used to that being, you don't sort of look back and say, Oh, that was a tough time and blah, blah, blah. You sort of just move on to the next thing. And um, one thing it does do though is, is it puts things into perspective and you sort of appreciate the game more um, and playing week in and week out and, and really enjoy yourself uh, training every day. Cause as soon as you don't have it, you, you really do miss it. So um, that's one thing it has sort of taught me, but, um, yeah, I mean, we've had a few younger boys uh, at the club go through a, a few knee injuries and, and other um, injuries, so I'm always there to talk to them. I have spoke to the boys in the past and even the younger boys in the academy and, and stuff. We've had a few unfortunate injuries that I've sort of had a word to and, and sort of showed them that, that you don't have to worry too much. There's, there's definitely still a, a path forward, um, which is super important, but um, yeah, I don't sort of look at myself as a mentor or anything like that. Um, and I don't think a lot of people else uh, do either. But, um, no, I'm happy to help if, if people want to, um, yeah, get my opinion on things. I'm, I'm definitely there to, to talk through it. But uh, I think the way I sort of approach it is I don't take it too seriously and, um, yeah, don't think it was too big of a deal um, going through the, the injuries. We're, we're pretty blessed to, to do what we do and to continue to do what we do. So uh, there's a lot worse things going on. Oh, you're a top lad, Buster. We've loved having you on the show. One last question from uh, one of your regular trolls, I'm sure, on the field and off the field. He loves to give to all of his teammates on these World Game Lives. What a legend this guy is. Ryan McGowan. Ryan, what's your karaoke song, he wants to know? One of the nicest questions he's asked on here, actually. I've seen a few of the questions he's been on me, so um, I wasn't expecting I was sort of prepping myself to answer some sillier questions, but um, karaoke song, that's a tough one. Uh, when I have to sing uh, for different teams in the past, I've, I've done The Gambler, um, which is a classic and it's sort of easy uh, to get out. I know a lot of the words, so I'll probably have to say The Gambler. Uh, and actually Kenny, the... Kenny Rogers. 
Jenny, question, the other question you were referring to, I hate to embarrass you, was this one. Why do you sprint past the ball when it's going out? He wants to know. <laughs> uh, that's just a, a silly thing I do. Um, just to have a bit of a laugh. Gauza loves it. He tried to do it actually in pre-season. Um, and the ball actually didn't go out. It kept it stayed in the field of play. We had to tell him to track back. Um, but he was too busy trying to get a laugh out of me to, to notice. But, um, yeah, I don't know where that came from. It was just something a little bit funny that I, I chose to do. And, um, yeah, a few of the boys do it and have a bit of a laugh. But Gauza hasn't uh, perfected it yet. But he'll, I'm sure he'll, he'll keep practising and, and he'll get it right. <laughs> well, we wish him all the best with that. We wish you and the team all the best in the grand final this Sunday. Uh, it's been a strange old season, but we're delighted that, you know, we have been able to see it out and that we will see the culmination to the season um, occur this Sunday. So we wish you all the very best. Thanks for making the time to join us. And you know what? Some people have asked when you're going to shave the mullet. I'll tell you what, Buster, keep it. Don't you ever get rid of that mullet. I am a fan of the mullet, all right? Thank you. Yeah, no, we'll stay for at least this week anyway, and we'll see what happens next year. But no, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. No, take care. Thanks so much. Ryan Grant, Sydney FC, right back there, also making the team of the season, the PFA's team of the season. So great to see him doing so well. It's time to move on to our next guest now. We've had such a fast-paced show and so many wonderful uh, additions to this week's program. But uh, this man, of course, uh, he did come out publicly and say that he didn't feel as though he was going to be ready for the Melbourne job at one point. But this week, the club made the decision to hand the reins over to the legendary Grant Brebner a legend of the football club, a top guy off the field as well. Bremsey, thank you so much for joining us. Firstly, congratulations on the appointment. But I need you to tell us why. What changed in that period in June when you'd come out and said, look, I don't think I'm ready for this role just yet. Uh, you know, I think I need further education to now and you agreeing to take the reins. Yeah, look, it's, um, I'm glad you got the hard question out straight away, Lucy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't mess around there. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, look, if I take you back, Lucy, to, to when I was asked to be the interim, um, it all happened very quickly. And of course, from, from making that decision to, to be the interim head coach, um, I was asked very quickly, would, would you consider taking the, the coaching role on full time if it arose? Now, at that particular time, it was genuinely an honest answer when I said no, because um, I hadn't thought about it. Um, and to be asked so quickly after taking on the interim role it was just it was just all happening too quickly um so then during the period of being in charge um look i enjoyed it i, I really enjoyed it um but my main focus was obviously the games and training and and you know the the responsibility of leading this team over that period um and then towards the end my mind did start to change um but again, I thought the club was down a pathway with, um, you know, interviewing coaches, looking at coaches. And then once once it finished, um, you know, I, I, I had a hard think. And um, look, I thought, why not? This this opportunity might not come again. So, yeah, I threw my hat in the ring. And, um, you know, and here I am today, um, you know, as the head coach. But it wasn't something when I was saying no that, that I was being, you know, deceitful around it. It genuinely was my thoughts at the time. But then when it finished, I thought, no, I, I think I could be the best man to take this team forward. I had to ask that tough one first. Of all. I knew. Now yeah, I knew. we can you into it. The rest is going to be pure wonderment. Um, you, Brexit. <laughs> 
fan of yours. I think you've, you know, you, you've been such a remarkable contributor to the victory on the field, but to now see you in this role and to see somebody, I mean, I know you've got a Scottish background, but we will call you one of our own. We'll call you an Australian for these purposes. I can't believe it's taken you 14 years to do this first interview with me, Lucy. It's taken a long time, but it's taken you 14 years to become the head coach of Melbourne Victory. Maybe that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I truly, I think it's great. One thing that I really love about you, before I pass on to Stolich and Bash to ask you some questions, is your honesty. And I loved your press conference that you did the other day with Pietro and, you know, and Lynchy and Anna Harrington and those involved and, and both Lynchies actually, they didn't hold back. Um, but I thought your honesty was so refreshing and it's something that I really appreciated. And one thing that you did come out and say is that I'm not going to shy away from the fact that we got recruitment wrong. Can you elaborate on that and, and what are some improvements that you feel need to be made going forward for this great club? Because it is a truly fantastic club, Melbourne Victory. Yeah, no, thank you, Lucy. Um, look, I think I think the big thing is, um, you know, it was it was kind of uh, look if I think back, and again, I wasn't involved, um, you know, at a level of recruitment last year, but there was no doubt that there was. I, I don't think the head coach took too much responsibility in terms of the players that were brought in, and um, you know, we we ended up rushing. I think getting some players in. Um, there probably wasn't a lot of thought process around how they fitted in, and maybe even not even you know, doing a lot of due diligence on the players. Um, you know, in terms of what they're going to bring to the team. Yes, they're good players. Um, I'm not saying they're not good players, but when you know you need leadership, when you need a presence, and you know, and and I felt it in the head coach role here, and you know, I'm happy to talk about it. In fact, that. Even during those five games, Lucy, we had to play well to win games. And what I mean by that is, you know, on occasions, and I've played in teams where we've not played well, but you've got leaders and you've got players that can still demand and get more out of other players. I don't think we had that, that this year. So, you know, when we talk about recruitment, um, I don't think we, we balanced it very well. And um, that's certainly something now, you know, that I've put my hand up and said, that I will be in charge and, and responsible for all the players that, that come through the front door. And uh, if we get it wrong, it will be my fault. And uh, if we get it right, then, you know, it's to the benefit of the club. Stolich, over to you. Yeah, Grant, you've spent obviously a lot of time uh, in the academy setup at Melbourne Victory. Can we expect a lot of young players to be coming through under you? And what do you think are some of the challenges? Because we're constantly talking about it, not enough opportunities and why we don't see enough players coming through. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, um, a lot was made of, of the young players that played towards the end of the season. Um, and they will play if they merit um, a starting a living spot, and uh, if they are, you know, the best player, um, you know what I'm. What I'm not going to do, and what I didn't do, was just play them to to get a free card or a free pass during that period. It was, it was. I felt they were the best players to play in that um, position at that time. Um, yes, there's definitely a few more. Um, there's one player, Zayden Bello, who I did have in my original squad, but when we had to go up earlier, he had to stay behind for year twelve. So. <laughs> um, a few more coming through the, the conveyor belt. The challenges for me, um, and you know, and this is you know, getting your head around it, that we are, you know, we're asking them to come in, and and then with it not being an under twenty three rule, we're moving them on too quickly. And you know, during during the the interim spell with the five games, Aaron Anderson, um, he came in and he played two games, and I left him out for a game, and it wasn't. 
through performance. It was just purely I wanted him to enjoy those two games and not feel like it was his responsibility to to get us results or, or you know, that he had to perform well over these five games. I wanted him to come in, enjoy it, go out, and then come back in. And that was something, you know, when I came through the, the Manchester United Academy, if you looked at the young players that came in, they would come in and then they would go back out for a period of time so that they, they then developed a real desire to, you know, want to take that shot again, not just it was going to be given to them and then it becomes expected. It was in, go back, you see the hunger, other players see the hunger, and, you know, they really work hard towards their, their development and wanting to strive to get back in that team. Um, whereas I think just at the moment we are making decisions on players, young young kids, and they're not quite fulfilled their potential, and then they find themselves out of the game because of the rules that we have in place. Bash? Uh, Grant, congratulations on the appointment. Uh, terrific news. Um, I'm just wondering, you were part of the legacy of Melbourne Victory with Kevin Musket and so many other great names at the club. You've, you've touched on the leadership qualities you're looking at and, and, you know, Nick's asked you the question about the young players coming through. I'm just curious about the senior players you're looking to attract to the club. What sort of qualities you're, you're looking for? Because there's no doubt the brand of Melbourne Victory has been hurt this season. Um, yeah. A lot of upheaval throughout COVID. How do you get that aura back in the club and what sort of players are you looking looking for to achieve that? Yeah, look, the the big thing, Bash, um, you know, and, and, you know, coming from a Scottish background, we, we do get a bit of a reputation to um, go from A to, to C and miss out B, but that's definitely not the way I want to play. Um, and I think I think we saw that during the, the period of those games. But, look, for me, Bash, I, I'm going to, you know, just to talk about the players I want, I, I need them to be brave. I need them to play without fear. And they will be supported 100%, you know, when they step over that white line to to go out and express themselves. Because, you know, when I did come in, I, I, I felt that there was a real cloud over some of them in terms of they were going out there and, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be you know, getting on the ball every single opportunity. And if it was a mistake, then they would maybe go hiding. So... You know, I want to bring players to this squad that are just going to, you know, demand the ball, get on the ball, make mistakes, make more mistakes, um, play without fear. And, uh, you know, if we get that right, and I'm sure we will, um, you know, we'll win more games than we'll lose. Um, and I did touch on, you know, leadership. Um, if we are going to bring youth players through, um, we need a good blend of experience, um, but experienced players that are going to help, you know, develop these young kids because as much as I can tell them and talk to them and the assistant coaches, um, you know, you learn from players around you. Um, you know, I certainly did. So, yeah, I, I want to find players that are going to help bring this club, um, push it forward and um, get us back to where we need to be again, which is you know, at the top of the league. Will that be a key, Bridsy, also to getting the fans back as well? Because I know that this week uh, the club launched the membership campaign standing as one since 05. Um, this is a club that has the, the biggest membership base of any A-League clubs, uh, you know, across the country. And I think, you know, I said it before that they're such a fantastic football club, but we need Melbourne Victory to be doing well in order for the A-League to do well. And I, and I truly believe that. But how do you get the fans back um, and, and supporting the club once again? Absolutely, Lucy. Um, you know, our commercial partners, our, our members and fans have been fantastic. And, um, you know, over the 14 years that I've been here, 
they've been incredibly supportive of our football club. Um, and we owe them, you know, we owe them for, you know, what we um, put on the park this year in terms of performance. And and one thing, you know, I'm, I'm not really foolish enough here, Lucy, to say that we will guarantee that we'll win games. Um, but what I will guarantee is that we will play um, a brand of football. We will try to play a brand of football that they've come to expect. And that is getting on the ball, um, playing attacking, entertaining football as best we can. It'll be pressing high. Uh, I'm giving a lot of my tactics away here, but it'll be pressing high and uh, winning the ball high at the park, closer to the opposition's goal. Um, and that's what our fans know and expect. And, um, you know, if, if they see that, um, you know, win, lose or draw, they'll start coming back in numbers again and, and supporting us, you know, as, as they have done for a number of years. Mm. Solish, over to you and then one more from Bash before we say goodbye to Brebs. Yeah, Brebs, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, I mean, we do kind of classify you as a local coach, but there's kind of this debate between foreign coaches, local coaches, you know, obviously I think every club just wants to have the best coach, but we are seeing a lot of Australian coaches do well in fact, often in their first or second season, you know, you've got Roods at Western United, Ufuk Tale um, at Wellington, uh, Corica at Sydney FC. Do you think there are enough opportunities and what can be done to improve that? Um, there's there's not enough opportunities, mainly because there's not enough teams. Um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, I can talk about myself at the moment, you know, obviously being given this this position. I know where I'm at. Um, and I'm not going to make any bones about where I need to, to better myself. And I will surround myself with people that will help develop me. Um, but even within this football club, you know, we need to get people that are going to help succession plans um, so that, you know, if and when I leave this football club, there is somebody that can step in, um, knows how to undertake the roles of head coach from, you know, every single club, how they um, have built, you know, that, stability over a number of years because you know what what we saw this year at our club was you know a bit like the Alex Ferguson era um we lost a bit of stability um we lost, we brought in another coach who who didn't know the victory way um and and probably paid a price for that so I think you know as well as coaching there's certainly an education element around you know particular clubs and and bringing people through whether it's academies um and, and bringing them up to speed with the first team. So I'll be including a lot of my youth team coaches within the first team environment and seeing how we go about things so we can plan from within. Uh, just finally, uh, Brebs, it's probably the only time in Melbourne uh, victory's history. I know that uh, Western United is a, a debut team in the A-League, but victory are a clear third in the sporting capital of australia so there's a lot of pressure on you next season to to get the type of football going to win matches for such a big club so i realize you've come in under very difficult circumstances um but do you think as you get closer to the next season you'll feel that type of expectation and and the expectation to recruit the type of players to win football matches because that's what you're employed to do Absolutely, Bash. Look, I, I felt it as a player, and it's going to be no different now as, as the head coach. And, and if there wasn't pressure, I'd probably get too comfortable. Um, so, you know, I, I know, you know, even Lucy's question off the, the top of the show, um, it's going to be there. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, I'll win games. Um, I'll 
make this team, you know, hopefully um, the top team again in, in Australia. And um, that will strive me every single morning that I get out of bed to make sure that we are in that position. Um, you know, it won't happen overnight, but um, we'll certainly start putting the foundation in place, which is what I spoke about, you know, prior to taking this role. It was just building, you know, some bricks to, to get this club moving along again. And, um, of course, we'll, we'll sign some players that are going to help do that. So I, I welcome the pressure. Um, I think it comes with every coach and every job. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Bash. Ramsey, I don't think you would have been the player you were if you didn't welcome pressure. And I don't think that you'll be the coach that we all anticipate you will be if you didn't welcome the pressure. You've handled yourself like a true pro and gentleman today. I've always been a massive fan of yours. I think you're a top guy off the field. We look forward to seeing you achieve great things with Melbourne Victory next season. We don't know what next season looks like, but we hope that Football Federation Australia and the clubs all come through with some clarity shortly. But we wish you all the very best. Thanks so much for your time, Brad. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Yes, fantastic to talk to Grant Brebner there. Bash, he's, he's such a top bloke. He was a great player. Um, you know, was somebody that really represented the core values of what Melbourne Victory set out to do in all those years of success. But um, looking forward now, I mean, I touched on it there briefly about we don't know what the next season looks like, but it would be good to get your views around how you've seen all of this play out now since COVID struck, the uncertainty with respect to Fox Sports and what the broadcast future looks like. How have you seen it from your observational point of view? It's been an interesting season, Lucy. We, you know, you and I did the A-League for so long and we, we got ground-level perspective and, and, and a remote perspective as well. But I think it's been the most challenging year of the A-League with or without COVID, given everything that's happened. But COVID's just expediated the, the, the issues with broadcast and income and uncertainty, insecurity of, of the clubs. I think it's a good opportunity to reset and, and, it, and if... We talk about we could talk about it forever, but if they get some of the other pillars involved, and I know Western United, for example, are trying to do some good work in the community in Western Melbourne, and there's a huge potential there. So if they get a lot of those things right, and they can get a home stadium, obviously that's going to help. Um, then they can bring people along with the narrative. I'd like to talk about the vanquished, if I can, Lucy, about some of the you know Western United's efforts this this season under. Mark Rudan and, and the development of some of the younger players, the fact that, you know, that they lost, um, uh, you know, um, Andrew Durante for that final and, and that was a real disappointment for them. But, you know, we need to applaud their efforts in their, their first season, a fantastic effort. Um, and, and Perth Glory too. We know, I don't know, you know, there's reports on the World Game today about uh, Tony Popovich going to, to Greece. Um, you know, I hope that's not the case because we've lost him once. I hope we don't lose him twice. But... You know, you know, I'd like to talk about those those type of issues around the A League this season because, um, you know, those two clubs have um, they've really fought hard in their own ways this season. Mm, they certainly have, and I suppose that's a good opportunity now for us to reflect on the semi final clashes that we saw last night. It was nice to have back to back football. I certainly, Dolly, I don't know about you, but I didn't mind the way that it all sort of played out, irrespective of the, the whole COVID situation forcing it into that scenario. But what were your views of the games, and what did you really take out of it coming into the grand final this Sunday? Well, it was interesting. I was actually very impressed with Western United, I think, up until the penalty. Uh, I thought Western United were the better team. They were creating more chances. And it actually made me think, oh, I was thinking Melbourne City were maybe coming into the grand finals, the clear favourites. But Western United really kind of showed their weaknesses. But throughout the season, I feel like we've seen Western United 
really inconsistent. We even talked to uh, Rudes about it a few weeks ago, and he said, well, you know, it's a new team and it's been a very up-and-down season. But I just thought, you know, I thought West United were looking really good. Then they get the penalty and it just looked from there. City were comfortable, 1-0 up. They knew how to play it on the counter-attack. So City's a very smart team. But, yeah, full credit to Western United. It is difficult to come in in the first season. I think that we should judge them in two ways. Off the field, you know, it hasn't been, a, I think, a huge success in terms of the, the crowds haven't been amazing, the, the stadium moving around. You know, we'd hoped that they would have even started work on that new stadium out in Tarnit. Don't know what's happening there. COVID's obviously going to slow that all down. But on the field, you know, great. And I, we talked, I think, um, previously about Diamante. But for me, he's the perfect marquee in terms of great player on the field. We all love watching him. He's a class above. But good player off the field as well. A charming guy, you know, in English isn't his first language. But he's always there putting up videos on social media, trying to create a feeling around the A-League, which, you know, makes it, I think, very endearing. So I think well done to Western United and the football department for the players. And they had a lot of changes as well mid-season. Remember uh, mm-hmm. McDonald leaving, uh, Gullam leaving, um, Chapman. Kind of Chapman leaving. Yeah, so it wouldn't have been easy, but they, they've done well and they nearly made a grand final. Mm. What about the the clash between uh, Sydney FC and Perth? Uh, For me, Bash, I have to be honest and say there weren't many times where I thought that Perth actually looked like that they were going to do some damage there, to be honest. Yeah, and you know what? When you when you asked me to go on the program, Lucy, I I made a couple of phone calls to Perth subsequent to their loss last night and just asked a couple of uh, poignant questions. And I don't know, you, you guys tell me, is it common knowledge that Diego Castro's Exit was, uh, we, we know he had a lot of friction with Tony Sage, but I think that personally was the, the turning point for the club this season. I think when he left, there was a lot of uncertainty about um, about Perth Glory moving forward. They, they hid behind, you know, uh, some health concerns about him going into the bubble, but I think it was a lot more serious than that. I think he had uh, serious issues with Tony Sage. That's what I'm hearing. Um, I, uh, watch, watch the space. I think this will go to a FIFA disputes situation because he is going to stick to his guns. He's got a contract. As we know, he's a foreigner, so he cannot get JobKeeper. Something about Diego Castro and JobKeeper don't go together, do they, really? But uh, um, he, he's not going to lie down. He's, he wants his contract um, um, sustained uh, for the majority of uh, or for the rest of the contract, which is another season to go. So watch the space. I think that was the beginning of the end of Perth Glory this season. Um, I hope Popovich doesn't go, but um, I know he cuts a, a frustrated figure in, in the background. So I really felt for him and his players last night. They had chances. Joel Kianese, if he put away his chance, then it may have been a different story. But I think you're right. Uh, from from the stadium point of view, it looked like they were just, they, they were a Diego Castro short of pushing Sydney FC at, at moments in that match. And I think that Diego Castro has gone so far in terms of making other players around him, Stolich, look like superstars. I mean, we all know that Neil Kilkenny is a quality footballer, a very intelligent footballer, but I feel like his partnership with Castro was something else. Uh, you know, even Bruno Fornaroli, I felt like he wasn't at his best without Castro on the field. So this is a side to Perth glory that we we haven't enjoyed seeing because, uh, to be honest, I've loved watching their football, especially with Castro, who I think is one of the best foreigners that we've had in the A-League. But these rumours now, I mean, Bash, 
I hadn't heard that before, Stolich. I'm not sure if you had heard that. Our understanding was publicly that Castro had come out and said that he did not want to put his health and his family's health at risk because of the COVID-19 issues, but we hadn't heard anything about that. Um, that mail is something that's very new. But the news also that Tony Popovich could be heading to Greece uh, to potentially um, take on this role with Xanthi FC, a club that's also in a bit of a relegation scrap. What are your views on that, Stolich? Well, uh, I think a bit of breaking news is actually happening. Uh, our reporter, Dave Lewis, is reporting that Tony Popovich will go to Greece. Um, so they will reunite with former Western Sydney Wanderers protege Arthur yeah. Dillies in a bid to revive the flagging fortunes of the relegation threatened Greek Super League club. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all kind of going in a really bad space for Perth. I mean, if you look at Perth, you know, they've lost their best player in Diego Castro. If you look at where they were last season, hosting a grand final, you know, they they won the league in, in terms of the, the league season. There was a lot of hope around there that they were really building an amazing team. And for the future, you know, they brought in Bruno Fornaroli, who's such an amazing player. But, you know, now they've lost Popovich. Uh, they've lost Castro. Uh, they tried to sell the club, you know, lest we forget to that Bitcoin you know, gangster out of lock, stock and two smoking barrels or whatever that guy was. <laughs> it's just been a bit of a disaster over six months and, you know, I don't know what's what's going to happen, but this is really, really bad signs. But it is interesting um, that uh, Tony Popovich, yeah, it looks like he is moving to a team that is in a relegation playoff tonight. They might not even be in the Greek First Division as of uh, next week. It's amazing. Know. And, you know, you know what, Lucy? It's it's funny. Nick goes on the on the uh, the movie theme with uh, with the former potential owner of Perth Glory, but Neil Kilkenny to me last night looked like the wolf from Pulp Fiction. You know, when, when he cleans up when the shit goes really bad. You know what I mean? Like he just he was just he was just tidying up, wasn't he? All night. Brilliant, Bash. That's why we're so glad you're back on the show. You're bringing the gold. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I, one last thing before we move on to the Melbourne City um, discussion point around Patrick Casnorbo potentially taking over the reins uh, is that I, I just think that Tony Popovich's career is more worthy of a relegation-bound club in Greece, to be honest. I know that it's been rumoured, uh, particularly after the Asian Champions League success that he had with Western Sydney Wanderers, that he was offered a big money gig in China, apparently somewhere. I think that Palace were also rumoured to be on the sniff for him again and he knocked him back and he ended up taking the job with Karabukspor in Turkey, another club that was in serious trouble and that didn't bode well for him. So it's a strange move but it makes me wonder if there's more to what Batch is saying at the club and that trouble is brewing and that Popper is potentially just looking for a way out. So we'll definitely watch this space but that's some great breaking news there, <clears throat> pardon me, that we can get across. Bash, I want to ask you your thoughts on the great Paddy Kisnorbo, top guy. He was a top player for Melbourne City in their day but the news that he could potentially take over at Melbourne City with Montbert reportedly heading back to take on uh, another club that the Melbourne City Football Group will, will be acquiring. Um, can he replicate the success, do you feel? And is Patrick Kaznorbo ready to take up that role? I think he's absolutely ready. I think he's served a, a thorough apprenticeship and he asks nothing more than he gave as a player. He was just such a terrific player. He milked everything out of his ability, uh, left everything on the pitch. Um, he, tactically, he's not going to be at Eric Monbert's level just yet, but he's learnt from a guy who's probably one of the most tactically savvy managers and coaches we've seen in the A-League. I think he's 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 really made them a, a composed unit this season, and you can see that in the way they've played under pressure. 
So I reckon because Norbo can do the job, and I think all power to giving Australian coaches a chance. It's not like he's he's popped up with a, a high profile and no and no apprenticeship. He's done his apprenticeship. Go forth uh, and multiply. I say. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see. That's another um, area where we'll have to watch this space. Stolich, let's talk about the grand final coming this Sunday. Um, I feel as though every time I start to lean one way or the other, the wind blows me in the opposite direction because I, I cannot tell you in all sincerity that I know who the favourite is coming into this, but what's your heart or your mind telling you? I mean, before last night, it would have been Melbourne City. Um but, you know, these, this little break, now it's finals football. Now Sydney FC do have a bit more experience when it comes to these games. I think it's going to be very, very close. If I had to lean one way or the other, I'm probably going to lean with Sydney FC only because, not because I think they're necessarily the better team, just I think that they have the experience and the experienced players, you know, we're talking about Ninkovic, LaFondra, uh, you know, McGowan, Ryan Grant, they know how to win at this level, and I think they're probably going to be in a better spot. So if I had to tip, I think it's going to be very close, but I think Sydney FC will uh, win the game. Mm, Bash, what about you? Because I felt like, I mean, I, I said it earlier, I didn't know which which side was pulling me in which direction, but there were periods of that game where I thought that Western United caused a lot of problems for Melbourne City, particularly in their midfield. And for me, Melbourne City didn't look likely until they actually won the penalty and then the, really started, the momentum really started to swing in their favour. But from being at the ground, what were your impressions of both sides coming into this grand final now? I thought Sydney FC were woefully out of form and they were lacking a little bit of self-belief. They got that back last night. Um, and Perth were probably better than they appeared as far as the intensity levels were concerned. So Sydney FC, a big tick. I think I agree with Nick. I think Melbourne City weren't as dominant as I expected them to be because they've got a really good record, albeit they beat um, Western United, but they've got a good record over United this season. I thought at times they went back into a shell and, and United did dominate parts of that match. So on the basis of, of big-time players, uh, probably slightly better defence for Sydney FC. Uh, I think um, I'm, I'm edging the Sky Blues. And remember, they're going, what, for a fifth championship, which would make them the most successful team NSL slash A-League in the history of Australian football. And what a... What an achievement for Steve Corica that would be. That would just be a marvellous achievement in what's been a, a very disjointed season. And also looking to create history uh, by going back-to-back, -back, which would be just massive for them. Steve Corica, uh, you know, outstanding to see Australian coaches performing so well. Bash, we're going to leave the show with more about the great Bash Ola. We want to know, what have you been up to? Um, fans have been writing in saying that they've missed you. Michael Long, one of our top fans, writing in, we miss you on the world game, David Bashir. The good old days of you, Les and Foz, on Sunday Arvo at 5 o'clock. Um, and I couldn't agree more, to be honest, Bash. You are so beloved by all of our viewers um, and all of the team here at SBS. We miss you dearly, particularly here on this World Game Show. Tell us, what have you been up to? What have you been keeping busy with? Have you been involved in football much? I've been watching a lot of football on TV in isolation. And before COVID, Lucy, I was at Western United. I really love that team. You know, okay, we, you know, I'm pretty close to Mark Rudin and we play golf quite a bit. Um, occasionally I get him on the golf course more times than not he gets me so I'm trying to make my golf game a little bit better enjoying the football um, enjoying some of the horses that I've, I've got going around and seeing a few of them race and I've spoken to you at, ad nauseum about that but yeah just generally observing football and wanting 
us, the game to get better. We all want the game to get better after COVID. And I'm really wishing, um, I'm just wishing James Johnson the best because I know he's got the best intentions at heart. I just hope he gets all the warring tribes together. Um, we can we can get a winter season going. We can align all the uh, you know all the goals in the in the in the right direction and get this game going. That that's my hope. Um, but just on a on a slight note too, Lisa, I'd like to make the point too that uh, I saw the great Spider Callats at the ground last night and was mm -hmm. wanting to have a chat. He, he had a couple of words to me, and like the Scarlet Pimpernel, I turned around and he was gone. He vanished. <laughs> He was probably ducking out into the car park to have a quick ziggy. He and I used to do that back in my pre-trial days that, when whatever right. I wanted. <laughs> Gosh, every time the game kicked off at SBS, he and I would slip off, you know, and have a quick cigarette back in the loading dock. I shouldn't be saying that. Solly, <laughs> um, a couple more questions to ask before we wrap up the show and say goodbye. Yeah, Bash, obviously you've been in the football media for such a long time. You know, there's a lot of talk at the moment with what, what should happen and, you know, even things like free-to-air deals and Fox Sports looks like they're pulling out and a streaming service, A-League Netflix. Where do you see the future of kind of Australian football media in the next five years? How, how are we going to watch the A-League? Um, you know, what kind of jobs will be out there? You know, will we see News Corp? Because we know they've cut a lot of football uh, reported jobs. Uh, you know, with your experience in the media, how do you see the future of Australian football in that space? It's a it's a huge question, Nick. And and I hope we take ownership of our own narrative. That's one thing's absolutely for sure. But I was, it's funny you say that. I was having a chat. I, I, a friend of mine's got three kids playing football, uh, a daughter and two sons at, at NPL level. And I was speaking to him last night and he said his biggest fear, if there's a user pay situation in Australian football, there's a fly just buzzing around the computer, um, that, uh, that he doesn't want the families to keep on paying for football. And that's the, if, if we put a, a levy on, on, on the participants, the families to pay for a, a pay-for-view scenario in football, then I think that's the wrong... I think we need to reduce the costs in football, not increase them. So, yes, I believe we should own our own product as far as the media coverage of the game at all levels. There's a national second division and, and the A-League. But I don't necessarily think uh, the families who have paid far too much to put their kids through football should keep on paying for that privilege. So we've got to find a, a, a commercial model that is sensitive to the requirements of families playing for their kids and, and, and produces the best possible coverage across the board. It does help that there's a winter season, and if that's the case, the A-League and the, the National Second Division, if there is a National Second Division, um, uh, takes place under the one umbrella, whether that's a pay-per-view or a, or a you know Amazon Prime-type situation. But I do believe we need ownership of our own media. We need to find the right media partners that are invested in the game, and we need to use the partition participation levels of the game, the extraordinary numbers of people that play the game as a carrot uh, to, to get the right broadcast partner in. The AFL and NRL go top down because they get all the money. They get the viewership. We can't do that. We've got to go bottom up. And the only way we can do that is to, to engage an Amazon Prime or a, or a database uh, a, a deliverer of media. To, uh, that's, the, that's the way we need to... to, to um, to get money into the game, commercialise the game in the right way. 
better myself, Bash. Well done. My gosh, we could continue talking to you all afternoon. Can you please promise that you'll come back to us for our uh, A-League shows? Absolutely. I'd love to. And, and it's always a pleasure to talk about the game, you know, in its entirety. And, you know, SBS has got a huge, you, you know, even back to the NSL days when I was calling both your brothers, Lucy, calling <laughs> both of them playing in the NSL, um, it's been a pleasure uh, covering football for so long. So I really... I do. I'm always on the sidelines. I'm not always the loudest person in the room, but I'm always watching with interest. No, but you're always the most logical and rational in the room. And I'll tell you, when it comes to commentary, and I've told you this ad nauseum over the years, Bash, my mother is your biggest and number one fan. I love David. I love David. That's all she <laughs> I've done a terrible impression of my mother's voice, but she's always loved you in the commentary box. I certainly miss you in the commentary box in our little travels across the country when we were covering the A-League for four years there. But you are the utmost gentleman, such a delight, a great colleague and friend for many of us here at SBS. It's been a pleasure to welcome back to the World Game and you will always have an extended invitation here for as long as you want it. Thanks, Luce. Thanks, Nick. Good on you. Good on you. And to everybody that's tuned in today, we have reveled in your company. It's been such a joy to chat with you. Thank you for your outpouring of questions and comments. It's been such a massive show. Of course, the A-League Grand Final is coming to you this Sunday and you'll be able to tune in and catch it on Fox Sports or listen to it on a host of other uh, commentary platforms. We here at SBS, of course, have been delighted to chat about the A-League. We'll have a massive bumper program to dissect everything that occurs back here next uh, Thursday. But of course, don't forget that we are also broadcasting the UEFA Women's Champion. League final between and we now know that it's finally been confirmed after Lyon did the business over PSG this morning. I'm very looking, I'm very much looking forward to the contest between Wolfsburg and Lyon. These two are bitter rivals and have met each other in the last four Champions League campaigns. So just two will get the business done. Will Lyon go on and, and, and create further success and win their fifth title in a row? Well, tune in from 3.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time on Monday morning, the 31st of August to find out with myself and Joey Peters and a host of other guests We'll be bringing you all the action pre-match. Thank you for your for your loyal viewership. We've loved you so far this whole season. It's been a real treat. But on behalf of myself, Nick Stolbash, and the entire team at the World Game, it's take care and goodbye for now.